hinting lately that the way popular culture celebrates Halloween. celebrates Halloween is a much clearer illustration of the gospel than the way popular culture celebrates Christmas. Think about it. And I'm not talking about the origins of these holidays. I'm not talking about, oh, Christianizing pagan holidays and paganizing Christian holidays. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about reflecting on the way popular culture celebrates these two holidays. On Halloween, you go up to a door, you knock on it, you ask for a treat, and you get one. Everybody gets one. Oh, not Charlie Brown gets a rock, but that's a different story. I just needed a clip of kids, of kids trick-or-treating. You get one. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ said, oh, sorry, that's Adam. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ said, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Good, bad, or other, ask and you shall receive. But Christmas, and remember... Behave yourselves, because Santa can still look into his magic snowball and see just what you're up to. Now that you know all about him, you can be darn sure that comes snow or high water, Santa Claus is coming to town. God's not fixed. 
God took away this, who takes away the sins of the world. John got it. John got it. He was a true prophet in the line of all the ancient prophets. And you know, I think this is why they all seem so crazy. It's because they were given visions of the most profound mystery of all. They saw God as a helpless baby. They saw God as a lamb meant for slaughter. They saw God on a cross. And then they were shown why. Because he loves us. God loves us. Because God is love. Because grace is the truth of God. And they didn't know what to do with that. And so, instead of changing it, they believed it. And in believing it, that's why they lived on the fringes of acceptable society. They lived on the fringes of acceptable religion. And they tried to get us to hear that God is not who we think he is. And God is not who God is a God of grace. And that's why this text about John the Baptist is a traditional reading in Advent. Especially now, the second week of Advent. It's all part of the story. The chapter of the baby in the manger can't be separated from the crazy guy in the desert. They go together. And this is something the ancient prophets understood. And one ancient prophet communicated this better than all the others. And that was Malachi. Malachi was very clear. He said, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come. John the Baptist and the Christ child are inextricably bound together. And that fact alone can help us make sense of these seemingly pretty harsh words coming out of John the Baptist's mouth. Remember, they can't be read outside of the context of the baby in the manger. They can't be read outside the context of the gospel. Try not to take portions of scripture and read them in the back. Remember, it all goes together. So, I think what I want to do today is I want to look at what John the Baptist said by looking at also what Malachi said, because they said very similar things. Things that seem so harsh, but maybe they're not. Maybe they're incredibly full of hope. And right now, Pretty sure we've got to use some coal. So let's look at them and then see what we can discover that maybe they're trying to say. So John starts with, You brood of vipers, one of the great all time lines in scripture, right? Brood of vipers. Vipers are a family of venomous snakes that can be found in all parts of the world. Mo moccasins and rattlesnakes are examples that we would be most familiar with. Here's one of the lesser known facts about venomous snakes. Their natural inclination is to be defensive. To be defensive. They move away from anything that might harm them. And they perceive pretty much everything to be a danger, which if we crawled around on, in the dirt on our bellies, we would probably think of everything as a danger too, right? This is why they hide under rocks and spend their time in old logs and don't really socialize with the rest of creation. Venomous snakes would rather flee before biting something. And this is what makes them so dangerous. If they can't get away out of fear, they bite. They bite. Isn't that just like us? Isn't that just like humans? At most, everything we do which is harmful to others is usually a fear-based reaction to something. John knows 
these people coming to him are just like that. He knows they order their lives around what they perceive to keep them safe. Save them. Remember, many of these folks are the religious leaders that John the Baptist is so furious with. They live good lives. They keep as much of the law as they can. But all of this is their attempt to deal with God on their terms, not his. To deal with God on their laws and in their legalistic ways. To be rewarded for something they do instead of receiving something that God does. So coming to John for baptism was one more defensive mechanism for them. One more attempt to flee from God. Thus the name vipers that John calls them. They're fleeing from God. And John knows, though, you can't flee from God if you ever want to be saved. You have to repent, which simply means change your way of thinking. You have to face God and let him save you. It's the only salvation there is. And remember, when we talk about salvation here at Canaan, Yes, we are talking about that first awakening to the reality of God and our need of forgiveness. But we're also talking about the ongoing process of transformation and redemption. The ongoing changing of our lives. And the only way that happens is to turn and face God. So, the prophet Malachi, was, who was clear, the, the prophet Malachi, who was the most clear, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. I want to look at some of his words because he can help us understand John because they're very, very similar. At the time of Malachi, here's what was going on. Rival priests had taken over the ministry of the temple from the Levites as a result. And as a result, things had gotten pretty twisted. Okay? So here's what was going on. They were sacrificing the worst of the flocks instead of the best. Relationship covenants were being ignored and broken. They were totally arrogant about their position as God's chosen people. And as a result, they were calling good bad, and they were calling bad good. And they were even presuming to tell God what to do. So, they were a mess. Malachi gives them good news. He says, well, first of all, he's already looked at the good news. The day of the Lord is coming. Okay? So God is coming, and he reminds them it's because he loves them. This is how Malachi has started his entire preaching. I, the Lord, have loved you. So God's coming is to them and for them. Then, of course, his language gets a little rough. And in verse 2, he says, Sorry. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when that happens? The people were not ready for his coming. They weren't ready for his coming. They were looking and waiting for a different God. They needed to understand some things. They needed to change their mind about some things. Or to repent is the word they use. So they could receive his coming. So they could be changed by his coming. Or else they would miss it. God would come and they would reject him. Or worse, they would crucify him. Which is what happened. They wanted a different God. And this is where the changing of the mind comes in. They wanted a God who would condone their ideas of good and condemn people that they defined as evil. 
And then Malachi goes on and he gives this list of examples of what the people in his day were doing that they were calling good, that God was calling bad. To show them that this is why you're going to miss God when he comes. The God you're looking for isn't coming. It's a different God. So, I spent a lot of time in this verse this week. And even before the events of Wednesday, happened. We are just, we're just coming off of Paris. Now we have San Bernardino and in 2015 has been, there's been more mass killings than there's been days in the year according to some statistics. And I was in this verse and, and and I'm also in the middle of my own celebration and observation of Advent. And so I don't know how the rest of the sermon is going to go, because I have my notes, but most of my notes were composed before Wednesday. I want you to notice something carefully about the things that Malachi says. So the first thing he says, God's going to come and he's going to testify against their sorcerers. This isn't Harry Potter books. Okay? So don't burn your Harry Potter books. In fact, if you want to burn them, just give them to me. I love them. Okay? It's one of the great stories of all time. Sorcery was about calling on the power of something other than God. So it got me thinking in my own study time, what do I call on? What do I rely on? What do I look to for my safety? And I realized the more honest I got with myself, that it's not always God. What do you rely on for safety? What do you call on for power? There's a lot of different things people rely on. 401ks, money in the bank, salaries, jobs, talents military industrial complex that is the empire of the United States. There's many things we rely on. Sorcery. And then Malachi brings up adulterers and perjurers, which is just representative of the breakdown of relationship. That's all. Remember in scripture, righteousness in the Bible is all about relationship meeting the demands of relationship. Right? God is perfectly righteous because he perfectly meets the demands of relationship. So adultery and perjury is just representative of all the ways we break down relationship. And and I was thinking on this in my own life and and you know a low view of the law like we've talked about is is you can you can create a list of things that you don't do. That's why people love legalism. That's why we like the legalist of Christianity. Easy to create a list and get any discipline at all. Those are a list. Anybody can do that. I've been married 21 years, and, and I can say, looking you all in the face, I've never committed adultery in 21 years. Okay, so what? It's a big deal. That's not the point of the law. Adultery and perjury 
It's just breaking the relationship. This week, I have a responsibility to my wife that I probably broke more times than I can come. It interfered with my own personal needs at the time, or just wasn't in the mood to be a good husband. 51 years of my life, the damage that I've done to relationships. I'm a Christian pastor. If I write down the list of people in my life, there's many that I don't have a relationship with that I should, including blood. That's just adultery and perjury. It's a breakdown of relationships. And it's funny, the more I thought about a lot of these relationships, in light of what I think God is trying to say and what Advent is all about, so empty in light of God's love of me and us. And then Malachi said this line. He said, um, and defraud laborers of their wages, or oppress the widows and the fathers and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. And this is just more breakdown of relationship, right? More lack of love for others. Again, a low view of the law. Most of us can fly right by this. Well, I'm not even an employer, so I can't defraud my laborers' wages. And I've actually been pretty kind to widows most of the time. But a high view of the law is just about relationship. trying to come to terms, all of us, right? All of us are trying to come to terms with well, what's going on. Trying to figure out fear. How do we respond? And I've been using this prayer and I've been praying and it was incredibly timely that I discovered this prayer and then was working on this sermon and then Ted Loder writes, and I just want to read a part of it because it, it, it gets right through Malachi's words, right to me. He says, Lord, grant me your peace, for I have made peace with what does not give peace. So powerful. I have made peace with what does not give peace. So many things in my life that I think are good for me. So many ways of dealing with relationships think are smart. It doesn't give peace. 
And so he goes on to say, drive me deep now to face myself so I may see. And here's what I saw. My capacity to deceive and willingness to be deceived. My loving of things and using of people. My struggle for power and shrinking of soul. My addiction to comfort and sedation of conscience. My readiness to criticize and reluctance to create. Social media, anybody? My clamor for privilege and silence at injustice. My seeking for security and forsaking the kingdom. And as I read these things that made much more sense in my language than Malachi's language, I realized, oh my, that, that is me. And all of those things are about relationship. I don't know. Um, I, I don't know why a woman needs a six-month-old baby to go on a mission of suicide to kill others. I don't. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know why five or six people shoot up a concert hall in Paris. But I know this. We cannot, as Christians, live in fear so that we call this the new normal. It's not normal. And we can't live in fear so that we then start expressing hate that is the same kind of hate that causes all of this in the first place. There's only one way to stop this. It has nothing to do with laws. It has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with right relationship. That's it. And it starts with us and each other. Don't be fooled. Don't sit there and condemn people that you know nothing about think you would never do it. There is hatred in our own hearts and in our own lives the people we know. This is why there is Malachi and John the Baptist. Broken relationships are not the way of God. John the Baptist used very similar language to paraphrase him. He basically says, take care of the poor and the needy. Don't oppress them. Love one another. For this is the way of God. And God, this God is coming. See, John, in all his apocalyptic language and crazy ways, is just calling us back to love. Because love is where God is. Notice what Malachi says the Lord's messenger will do when he comes. Chapter 1, I'm not going to use that quote. 
sorry, there's John. That's paraphrasing that. Sorry, I had a quarter big. That's probably what it was. When, when John the Baptist comes, he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Restore relationship. He's going to put relationship back at the forefront of their lives, their culture, their religion, their thoughts, their actions, back where it belongs. Because God is a God of relationship. Perfect relationship. He has never given up on us. And Malachi knew this. You know, after explaining that God is going to come and judge, this is what he reiterates. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Amen. This is John, this is Malachi's, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right here. I have not changed, declares the Lord. Thank God. He's been the Lamb slain from the foundations of the world. He's been the baby in a manger. He has been God on the cross forever and will remain that forever because He loves us and we will not be. Yes, he will destroy the sin destroying us, but thank God for that. That's why Advent is so wonderful. Listen, God knows what's wrong with us. And contrary to whoever wrote that headline, God is fixing that. God just happens to be a lot more patient than we are. And maybe it's taken so long because God's people are responsible for living like God and loving others and not hating others are so full of hate themselves that will just keep me God's coming He's coming for us but the good news is He's coming for you think of all that weighs you down and weighs you down and your anxieties and your fears they all center on relationship God's coming to free us from that Listen, he's probably angry. He's probably a bit dangerous. I know how I get when my kids are threatened. I'm only human. So, of course, the cleaning might be rough, but Patricia Gillespie says, John the Baptist is running ahead of him, shouting, prepare the way. Don't let this dangerous and wild God come up behind you. Repent. It means turn around, turn toward God. Let us place before him the depths of our valleys, the mountains of our sins, and the crookedness of our hearts. Because that is why he's coming, to fix all of that. That's why Jesus is coming. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. That's hope. That's the good news. That's why he's coming. Oh, don't we need that right now? We need that right now. We need that. That's Advent. Advent, as Malachi says, is when he comes, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you will go forth and skip about like capsules. It's hope. Next week, we're going to continue to talk about hope. But in the meantime, join me in observing and celebrating Advent and preparing for this coming of this God who is about love. And it's the same as the preparation we do for this communion table. We don't clean ourselves up so we can be rewarded with.
come here knowing we need his body and blood. And we come and we thank him for it. Thank you. Let's not be vipers. Let's not flee from God. Let's believe that Christ is the Lamb of God and is bringing to us salvation. Thank you.